Before we um, jump into things this morning, I know that there is um, uh, obviously been a lot going on in our, our nation over the past several days. There has been, um, um, you know, a lot of thoughts and feelings toward all of that, and um, I just wanted to, to take a moment before, um, really before we even go any further, and just stop and pray. Um, I know that... Um, and we're going to get into this a few, in a few more minutes, but uh, just there's, there's a, lot of, um, a lot to be praying about today. And so we're just going to pause. I think it would be wise of us to do that before we, we go any further. Um, and just pray that, that God would keep our eyes where they're supposed to be. So let's, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we are able to come to you. God, we're thankful that you have <clears throat> given us so much. And God, often you've given us so much, and yet we still want more. But God, I just pray today that, that you would be with us, Lord, that we would turn away from, from what might distract us from you. We would turn our eyes on you. God, we, we're so thankful, Lord, that you, um, you put us in a, a land where we can elect and choose our leadership. God, I pray that as a, as a nation, we would turn our eyes back toward you. As individuals, as the church, we would turn our eyes back toward you. God, I pray today as, as, as a group that we would begin to move forward in unity, that we would seek healing and restoration as a country, as a body, as a people, but God, mostly we would seek that with you too. God, I'm so thankful for, for you for giving us the chance to be here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, also, another thing before we, we jump in today, I um, um, want to take a, f- a moment. This, this week is a, a special uh, week that we celebrate every year where we honor our, our veterans. I know many of you are uh, veterans here. If, if you are uh, a veteran of our armed uh, services, would you, uh, would you stand for just a moment so we can, can recognize you? I know, I know Ron is standing in spirit. <laughs> and Dan, Dan is standing in spirit. So uh, remember those guys as well too. Um, but we are, are so thankful for you guys, for, for what you have done, how you served us as, as a people, served our nation. Um, so many that still are um, out there serving and um, you know, we will honor all of them on this day as, as their service ends as well, too. We have an Armed Forces Day that we honor them now, and, and, and we're so thankful for them as well, too. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I, no, it wasn't three. It was more like eight. Eight of you are doing great. One was, there was one awesome, and about eight of you doing okay, and the rest of you, I think, are like me and you're semi-awake and you're here. So that, that's good. That's good that you guys are here. I, um, I, I know <clears throat> this morning we woke up. It was, it was nice and uh, cool this morning. I was driving down Redwood Avenue, and what do I see off in the distance? I saw some snow on top of the mountains out there. That always changes my mood, like, immediately. At first snowfall over there, you know. <laughs> I don't mind the snow. I like the snow, but... but um, 
over there is great. And I mean, I, mean, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, they call Oklahoma flyover country for a reason. There's nothing out there, okay? It's flat. We have hills, but it's mostly flat. You want to see mountains and snow, you've got to drive like 13 hours. So it's nice that I can drive 10 or 15 minutes and get into it and, and go with that. But it was nice for me because that was just kind of a, a peaceful reminder for me this morning driving down the road. You know, I've got about a four-minute drive from my house to here. It's not very long, but it's a nice backdrop for my drive down the road. And it was a nice backdrop for me because this has been... For many of us, for most of us probably, a very difficult week. Yeah. And really, been a difficult year. I mean, this, let's be honest, 2020 probably deserves the week we just had, right? I mean, like, this has just kind of put a cap on what this year has been for so many of us. And I, uh, you know, most of you kind of have heard a little bit about my background. I I'm, was born in 1982. I'm 38. This was the sixth presidential election I've voted in. The first one was 2000, George W. Bush and Al Gore. I don't remember anything else that, that was on the ballot that year. I just remember that was, the, the, you know, obviously the big thing. Oklahoma's like Oregon. Our, our governors are elected in the off years. So that wasn't on the ballot that year. But, but I know this. In my sixth election that I voted in, I've never seen one like what we just went through. The division, the divisiveness, the us versus them, the... the you're this way or you're wrong, and it doesn't matter who you're talking to. That, that's the responses and attitudes that we have gotten. And as we stand here today on November 8th, on Sunday, yesterday it was announced that the decision has finally been made. And I know this, it's a de- decision that for many people are not happy with. Many of you aren't. And many of you are, are sitting here upset, angry, running through all of these different emotions, some of you aren't, aren't willing to accept it yet. I get it, okay? Some of you are wondering what, what's going to happen to us next. Some of you are happy with it. You, some of you are happy with, with what's coming. And that's okay, too. It's okay to have these different reactions. I, I, I made a statement. First off, a little, little sidebar. I don't want to get too much into this, this point, but this weekend is actually the fourth anniversary, the fourth year that I've been here now as, as your lead pastor, and I, I only bring that up because it's significant. It's not four years to the day, it's four years to the weekend. Four years ago to the day, do you know what happened? It was election day. I know that because I was checking my Facebook memories this morning, and that's significant to me, not because of who was elected or, or that. It was significant for me because Jennifer and I were in the U-Haul on the way out here, keeping up with it online, on our phones, on the radio, you know, and, and um, we, we went from Salt Lake City to Medford that last day in a U-Haul, topping out at about 60 miles an hour, you know, on, on those things. But I just remember when I got here, I made a statement. And that statement didn't go over very well. But I'm going to make it again because it's flipped now. My statement I made was this. I said, we come here today, a decision's been made. Many people are extremely happy with the decision because they feel that the hero on the white horse is coming in. And many people are terrified with the the decision that's been made. And I caught flack for that. But yet the same thing could be said today, just the roles have probably flipped. If you were excited four years ago, you're probably not right now, and vice versa. But here's the thing, and I want to get at this, because our nation is divided. I'm not going to, you know, belabor that. We know that. We're divided. We're upset. We're angry. But here's the thing, folks. 
we, we need to stop focusing on all of that. We're starting a new series today called United, because that's where we need to be headed towards. Uh, this is a series I've had on the calendar for over a year. I mean, I, I knew that this was one I wanted to hit on because I knew regardless of who even ran for president, who was going to win, who was going to lose, that we were going to be divided. We were going to have very similar responses to what we had four years ago. I know at 38 years old, this is the most divided I've ever seen our nation, the, the most split I have ever seen our, our, our country. And I know to some degree that, that you can look at that and, and feel a loss of hope for what's coming. But at the same time, I think we in this room, we as Christians, need to remember who we are and whose we are and to whom we really belong. And when we do that, we understand that a divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church. Here's why. The church is the hope of the world. Yeah, Jesus is the hope of the world, yes. But guess what Jesus did just before he went to heaven? He passed off what he was doing to the church. He makes two statements, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, where he tells the disciples, it's your, it's, it's your show now. Go preach in my name. Go make disciples in my name. Go witness in my name. Go spread my name. Bring people to God through me, through the church. That was his commission that he left for us, and that hasn't changed. That hasn't gone away. The church needs to unify around that. Because here's another truth for you. A divided church is an ineffective church. Our world has never been more skeptical. And if I say our world throughout the course of this, just I'm talking about our country, our culture. It has never been more skeptical towards the church and Christianity than it is right now. Why? Because they see Christians fighting with each other, arguing over things that don't need to be argued about, and they want no part of it. And I can't blame them. I don't either. I don't like to even go to, to sit in and, and, and hang out with friends or family when all they're going to do is fight and argue. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to focus on what we can come together around. Because here's another truth. The church is only as strong as it is united. So, so how do we do this? How do we unite and forget about some of the things that make us want to split and argue and worry. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah, if you've got a Bible, you've got a device, you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians, just as, as you're turning there, I'll kind of set up a little context to this for you. Paul, you know, wrote so many letters in our New Testament. Now, almost all of those are written to churches, churches that he started. Paul uh, traveled around. You can read the book of Acts and see how Paul travels around. And you know, if, you, if you've got one of those Bibles with all the maps in the back, you might see that map that talks about Paul's missionary journeys. It was on his second missionary journey that he goes to Corinth. This was a city in what is now Greece. Um, and he, he stayed there for about 18 months. That was pretty long by his standards. Paul liked to go get a church started and then hand it off to somebody else and go on to the next spot. But he's in Corinth for about 18 months. He, he starts a church um, and then he leaves. And this is only like maybe 15, 16 years after Jesus was on earth. So it's not very, not, I mean, pretty soon after Jesus left. And not too long after Paul leaves, he starts hearing reports that the church is fighting and that they're on the verge of splitting in two. 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a broken, divided church. And Paul's theme through the whole letter is simple. It's unity. And I love how Paul writes his letters because Paul starts all of his letters with a really quick, you know, one, two, three, four verse greeting. I'm Paul. I'm a servant of Jesus, etc. 
And then he spends a few verses with his prayer of thanksgiving to the church. Here's why I'm thankful for you. And then he gets right into the issue. And Paul's issue that he gets right into here, starting in verse 10, is division. Here's what he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Right off the bat, where does Paul go? The name of Jesus. Right off the bat. I'll, I'll get to that more in a few minutes. But he wants to make it very clear, Jesus is going to be at the forefront of our conversation. It's going to be about him. Everything else falls behind that. He goes on in verse 11. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household. Chloe was kind of the one that kept everything organized. says that uh, some from her household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. So again, a little context here. Paul started this church. He, he ran this church for uh, several months. And then he left and he handed it off to a man named Apollos. You can read a little bit about him in Acts. Uh, Apollos, you, we, we really learn more about Apollos from writings outside the Bible around this time, who he was, what he did. Very gifted writer, very gifted teacher. And in fact, there are some uh, scholars who think that maybe Apollos even wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it, so he's a candidate. He, he pastors this church for a while. He leaves and he hands it off to Cephas. That's the Hebrew name for Peter, as in the apostle Peter. Peter ran this church for a while. And what's happened is, is over the course of time, what, what we're seeing here is people are starting to kind of rally around these individual pastors that they've had. In other words, some of them are saying things like, well, you know, Paul started the church and he did it this way. Or, you know, Apollos, man, he was such a great preacher. He did it this way. Maybe we should listen. And then there's some going, you know what? This is like the same Peter who walked on water, who rose somebody from the dead. Like, I mean, this was the only dude who was actually with Jesus. The other two weren't with Jesus. Peter was with Jesus. Maybe we should listen to Peter. And then there's a fourth group, Paul says, who <clears throat> like to say, I follow Christ. That's easy to think, well, they're the ones who have it all figured out. They don't they're not going to follow one of these pastors. They're going to just strictly follow Christ. That, that's not quite what he's referring to there. These are the people who think, well, I've got my Bible. I don't need to go to church. Church is messed up anyway. I've got my Bible. I can, <clears throat> I can find a good sermon online. Folks, there is nowhere in the Bible that states you don't need to go to church. The Bible is very clear that church is important that church is necessary and vital for us. But isn't it funny, now 2,000 years later, we still do the same thing. We still do the same thing. We take a church and we, 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 we follow personalities or we follow ideas. We follow, uh, again, some of us, I don't need to even go. That church is so messed up, I'll just stay home. I'll just read my Bible and I've got, you know, I've got a reader app on my phone, I can follow that. And that's where so many of us are still 2,000 years later. But you notice how Paul doesn't respond in this passage. Sometimes I love reading more what Paul doesn't say than what he does. He doesn't say, now some of you are following Apollos and Peter, but you know, I'm the one who started this church. Okay, remember, I was here when we were running like 500 people per weekend. I was the one who used to have a Sunday school class for every age group. 
I was the one who had like just this, you know, massively successful outreach campaign. He doesn't say that. Paul doesn't go with that. Paul doesn't doesn't make it about him. He keeps it about Jesus. Why? Paul knows a very simple truth that we would be wise to understand and follow today. Church unity erodes the minute you focus on anyone or anything other than Jesus. The moment you make it about someone or something that's not Jesus, church, we're on the verge of a, of a, of a split. We're on the verge of going in our own directions. And that's what we, can, it's so easy to do. Unintentionally, it's easy to do. Look, look how Paul takes this, verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, it's about Jesus, right? It's about Jesus. Listen, pastors and personalities, politicians can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can save you. I've baptized several people. They weren't baptized in my name. I didn't save them. Many of you were baptized by another pastor. That person didn't save you. Some of you have baptized each other. You didn't save each other. Jesus did. Jesus did that. Folks, I get it. It's easy to get caught up in your own personalized version of church. I I get it. I've been there. I'm 38. I've been a pastor for four years. I was a a church member a lot longer than I was a pastor. And, And I understand, looking back a little bit, that often what we, what we cling to, what we make important, isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. What we really go after, it's just something that we do. It's not scriptural. It's not doctrinal. In fact, did you know what causes churches to break apart more than anything else? I've, I've said this before, but number one is money, kind of like any relationship. But guess what some of the other top five reasons churches break apart are? Music. And not just, I mean, that's an umbrella. Music style, music song choices, who the song leader is, how loud it is, those types of things. That's what we break apart over. What else? Dress code. Man, he's preaching in jeans that need to be ironed. (laughs) Most of you, I think that's okay because you haven't left yet, okay? There are some people who wouldn't step foot in here, or they might step foot in if they see me get up here dressed like this and not in the suit and tie like Jesus preached, they would leave. Okay? Interior decoration, that's, a re- that's one. That's, I'm embarrassed to admit that's a reason churches break apart. As a pastor and as a Christian, I'm embarrassed for that one. But then another one that, that probably a lot of us don't think about is the number or types of um, ministry programs you offer. In other words, it's kind of that question of, what does this church have to offer me? That's something that causes a lot of people to leave or to break or to go in their opposite direction. And the thing is, none of those are scriptural. None of those are doctrinal. And those are the leading causes of church splits or people getting mad and leaving. Is because of someone making decisions that they don't like. That's the number one cause. And, and here's the thing, folks. We, we can argue about these, but what, what, what it boils down to is we get defensive of these and we take 
ownership of these because maybe, well, that's my ministry or, or that's something I really care about. And we elevate it to a level that, not to say it's not important, but we elevate it to a level of too great of importance. And we get defensive because this church is personal for us. It means something to us, and it should. It should mean something to us. It should be personal for us. But we get to the point where we make it about those things. We argue because he's not preaching from the King James like Paul did. Or he didn't preach from the King James. It was written 1,600 years later. Okay. That was a joke. I don't want to make sure you guys got that. (laughs) English wasn't a language then, okay? But about, you know, should a Christian have piercings or tattoos or, or, or this or that. I mean, my grandma, I love her to death. She would not want to attend my church because I wear jeans when I preach. My shirt's not tucked in. Grandma, I love you. You're probably watching this. You just have to deal with this. <laughs> Listen, folks, for us to have unity, we do not have to think alike, dress alike, talk alike, vote alike. In fact, I I think the church needs to be diverse. It needs to be the model for diversity in the world. We need to sound differently and look differently. Folks, unity does not equal uniformity. In fact, unity is this. Unity is intentionally coming together in spite of our differences, celebrating them, knowing, understanding that in spite of our differences, we are called to be one. Another one of his letters, the book of Ephesians, Paul says this in, in, in chapter 4. He tells you to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You, you know what that, that phrase, bearing with one another in love, in the Greek, how it really is more accurately translated? Put up with each other. <laughs> how many of you have got Thanksgiving coming, family coming? You're not going to agree on things, and what do you do? You put up with each other. Why? Because you're family. Because some things matter more than opinions. Verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If you've got a actual physical copy of of the Bible. They do still make these, by the way. If you've got one of those, number one, I encourage you, take notes in them, highlight them, write in them. This is my only Bible I don't do that with, and it's because it's what I use to preach with. And when I start making notes, I can't read it very well from the stage. (laughs) But in all my other Bibles, I have highlighted and underlined every time it says the word one in that passage, seven times. Paul's trying to make a point One of the number one rules of Bible interpretation, you take a hermeneutics class, they're going to tell you, look for trends, look for repetition. Why? Because obviously the author's trying to emphasize something. He says that one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He is making a point. Listen, God wired us all differently. He gave us different passions, and what those passions are will determine what we're passionate about. And what we're passionate about pushes us in direction uh, to to make certain decisions, and it's going to push us to have certain even political ideologies, because that's how God has wired us. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. 
the American church, we've forgotten who our enemy actually is. We've come to this decision and this conclusion that our enemy must be the other side. Whichever side you stand on, the enemy is on the other side. And folks, that's not the case. That's not the case. Our enemy is not another person. Our enemy has a name. And it's very clearly defined who our enemy is. I was in college I was attending the University of Oklahoma. I was involved with a, a campus ministry called Chi Alpha. And uh, we were trying to find our own place. You know, it's hard for a, a campus ministry to find a spot on campus at a major state university. There's, there's not a lot of real estate to go around. Uh, and so we finally found a place. There was a strip mall right across the street from the dorms. And a you know, strip mall had like a bookstore and a pizza place and these things. Up above, in, in the upstairs of the strip mall, was an old movie theater and an old bar that had been abandoned. And we, we were able to get those, make those our, our place, our location. And this bar, all that we knew about it was there was some really, really just sketchy, evil things that took place up there. Not just people drinking, like a lot of stuff going on up there. But we, we got the space, you know, like, it's like God had blessed us to get this space. And so we, we went up there, and, and as we're cleaning it all up, we noticed all across one of the walls, like a massive wall, there's this huge graffiti painted that just said P58. And we were all like, okay, I wonder what that means. You know, is that some sort of tie to some group or, or what? P58, what does P58 mean? And our campus pastor came back a couple of days later, and he goes, he's just smiling, he said, what? And he goes, P58. 1 Peter 5.8. You know what 1 Peter 5.8 says? Be alert and of sober mind. Plastered across the wall of this bar. (laughs) King James says, be sober and be vigilant. For your enemy who? The devil. Prowls around, roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. He says, resist him and stand firm in the faith. Folks, I want you to do something. Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look around you. These people aren't your enemy. This week, when you go out, the people you see at a restaurant, at a store, your next door neighbors, they aren't your enemy. The people you're going to come across aren't your enemy, they're your mission. They're your mission. We're going to talk more about this next week. But the command to love your neighbor doesn't have exceptions. It doesn't have conditions. That's our command that is given to us by our king. Because we are the church. We are God's people. Again, unity does not mean we agree on every topic and on every approach. But it does mean that we share a singular focus, even with those with differing opinions. Here's another way to say this. Uh, about, about 200 years ago, our movement of our churches started. The Christian churches started. Two men, uh, Barton, uh, Barton Stone and Thomas Campbell, they uh, came together and started what's called the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Movement. And that's the Christian churches and the churches of Christ. They came out of this movement. 
And even though we're independent, we share kind of their same credo. They, they came out of different church movements, and they said, we don't want to be labeled as Baptist or Methodist or have any of these labels or, or governing bodies over us. We just want to be Christian. And their famous phrase was, we're not the only Christians, but we're Christian only. Nothing else. And so we bear the name Redwood Christian because we want to be about Jesus and nothing else. But their great kind of credo, if you will, that they established that we follow to this day is a simple statement. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Now, now what do I mean by that? What are essentials? We, we call them core beliefs. And I can tell you this, we may change the way we go about doing ministry from time to time, but as long as I am your pastor, our core beliefs will not change. And I pray that after God takes me somewhere else one of these days, whoever comes in after me will keep those because they're scriptural, they're non-negotiable. We've got them posted on our website. Things like God is the creator of the world. Uh, God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our Savior, etc., etc. Those are our core beliefs. They're, again, they're posted on our website. You can see them. We don't negotiate about those. But what's a non-essential? Well, again, those are things like how should you dress for church? How, what, what, what's, what's true end times theology, Kurt? Tell me that. Okay, th- those are non-negotiable, or non-essential, sorry. And, and it can even get more personal than that. Should a Christian drink alcohol? Watch an R-rated movie? Go to dances. Those are non-essentials. Some of you grew up in a church where they were essentials. They were non-negotiables. We try to be clear here about what the Bible says we follow and where it doesn't, we don't. The Bible's silent. We, we stay silent on that as well, too. But in all things, he says, love. It's not our job to judge the world because it's different than we are. It's our job to take the message of Jesus to the world. It's our job to go to the message, or go go to the world with the gospel. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, spent time with his disciples. Most of the, the last half of the gospel of John focuses on this. But in John 15, 16, and 17, we get this conversation as they're walking about a mile or so from the room where they were at over to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what is coming. He knows that when he gets there, he will not leave a free man. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be killed. And Jesus tells his disciples this. The last thing he tells them is not, dig in and fight for me, avenge me, call down legions of angels to save me. What does he tell them? In John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Why does he tell him that? Because he knows God's got it under control. He knows that God has this taken care of. He knows that God has a plan. Folks, I need you to understand something. Regardless of how you feel today about what's happened in the past few days or what's going to happen in the coming weeks and months and years, God was not caught off guard by anything that happened in our country. God was not standing there at the balcony of heaven looking down Wednesday going, I did not see this coming. <laughs> He's got it. <laughs> He's got it. But, but here's what I want, I want to say to you. This may be unpopular, but, but I need you to hear my heart. 
Because I want to be very, very honest with you for a few minutes here. Some of us, some of us are more concerned with who is or who will be sitting in the White House than we are who is sitting in God's house. I want you to, in fact, I want you to do something. I don't want you to answer this to me. I want you to be deadly honest with yourself and with God. Are you more interested in winning a political argument or a fight than you are taking the gospel to our world? Making disciples and being his witnesses. Which matters more to you? Because I've seen some of you all Facebook posts. Maybe not you specifically, but I've seen a lot of Facebook posts and tweets over the past several days. Folks, regardless of who sits in the White House, whether that's President Trump or whether that's President-elect Biden or somebody else in the future or whoever's been there in the past, regardless, our mission does not change. It will not change. Our mission predates the United States of America by about 1,776 years. Our mission is clear. And here's the thing, folks, we need to understand this. We serve, as the church, we serve a kingdom. And kingdoms don't care about presidencies because kingdoms aren't run by presidents, they're run by kings. And we have a king. We have a king who died for you on the cross, who, who, who created you and loves you, and who sits on the throne today, and who's going to sit on the throne tomorrow. And our king made it very clear what we're supposed to do. Go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he told us to to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. In other words, our community, our, 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 our church, our community and our world. And then he told us these things. He said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you to go bring life to the full to others, to go serve others, to go seek and save the lost, that doesn't change, and it never will. Unity in our church is vital. We have to have it. If we choose to not be unified, the church will fail. I don't mean the church. The church is going to be fine. The big C church. But if you want Redwood Christian Church to succeed and thrive, it has to be unified. If we don't, we will fail. I've seen it happen many times before. Churches crumble when they take their eyes off Jesus. So let me ask you a question as you kind of step forward this week. What matters more to you? The kingdom of God or a debate over politics, non-essential theology, a pastor? What matters more to you? Often we want unity to happen when the other side or the other person changes and, and comes to us. And folks, God doesn't work that way. Romans 5 is very clear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He took the first step. And we need to be willing to do the same. A few minutes ago I mentioned Jesus on the road to Gethsemane. And as he's walking there, he, he, he spends chapter 15 and 16 talking to his disciples, and then John 17, he prays. Some Bibles will call this the high priestly prayer. One of my professors in Bible college used to say, I don't feel like I should even be allowed to read this chapter of the Bible 
because this is God talking to God. He said, I shouldn't be allowed in that room. And yet we get to read it. And Jesus isn't praying that God intervenes tomorrow. He isn't praying that God protects everybody. He's praying for strength. He's praying for encouragement for his followers, for the church, for you. He's praying for every single Christian that was ever going to become one. And here's how he wraps this prayer up in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Those pronouns he's saying there, them, their, he's talking about us, his disciples, his church. Pray for them and also for the people who are going to hear their message, for all those folks out there who haven't come to Jesus yet. He says, I pray for them that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus went to the cross praying for unity, for the church to be one. So folks, let me, let me ask you a question that I want you to chew on this week. I want you to think about this week. Is there anything that you need to de-emphasize so the church can be more united? And actually, I guess I wrote it down differently than I just said it. Because I'm going to assume we all have something. So instead of is there something, what is it? Write it down this week. Think about it this week. Pray about it this week. What do you need to de-emphasize in your own life and viewpoint to make the church more united about our mission to win disciples for Jesus, to grow the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, God, that, that we're yours. We're so thankful, Lord, that you loved us despite who we are because you know that we're yours. We belong to you. You created us. You loved us. You died for us. God, I pray that we would remember that. We would remember that as we go about our day, as we go about our week. God, that regardless of what happens in our country, Lord, we would be more focused on you and your kingdom. God, I pray for us today, Lord. I, I know many of us are hurting and confused. God, many of us have a, maybe a sense of, of hope and joy, but God, all of those need to be filtered through you. All those emotions need to filter through you. So God, I just pray that you would remind us of what's most important. You would remind us of the big picture. You were the same yesterday and today and forever. God, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.